0: This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome into the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff for the next two days. He is off to Victoria ahead of Hockey Day in Canada. He's doing a live podcast. I think that's tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. And by the way, you're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network. and watching on Sportsnet 360. Probably should have got that one in. So another night... In the NHL, and another Oilers win, make it 11 in a row, and another night, and another Maple Leafs, two-goal lead, poof, vanish. The only thing that I can best describe it as is the Reggie Miller gif, where he's telling them they choked. Another one. Uh, this is becoming way too frequent of a storyline for a team that thinks that they're a Stanley Cup contender. Meanwhile, on the other side, it was the Oilers, and... You know, they continue to play well defensively. They, they're they getting good goaltending. Stuart Skinner made a couple of 10-bell saves last night, and they get timely scoring. What else is new uh, over this stretch of play that has, you know, been incredible for a team that everybody thought was out of it after the first month of the season? Enough that they fired their coach. An 11 straight win. They continue the franchise record run, and it's been pretty... That's a pretty incredible record to have considering some of the Oilers teams that we've seen over the course of their history. I don't know that guy Gretzky was on the team and, you know, that Messier guy, Curry, Coffee, Glenn Anderson, go down the list. It's it's kind of impressive. And so you look at the Oilers now and they are flying. Doesn't even begin to describe it here. How well that they've played. And there was somebody on this show that said when they were going through their slump and after they fired the coach that Lance threatened to turn off my mic. I don't know who it was, but it was some guy. Uh, Can't imagine who that could have been. The other Alberta team last night gets a fourth straight win. And they spot the Coyotes, a 2-0 lead. And they come back, Yegor Sharongovich with the winner. And what a shot. In overtime is 18th of the season as he continues on towards a career high in goals, which he said a couple of years ago with 24, 13 goals and six assists in his last 18 games really found a nice home in Calgary after getting, uh, you know, traded this off season in the Tyler to Foley deal. deal was a player that not a lot of people had a ton of expectations for uh, coming off of a season where he only had 13 goals but he's getting more minutes of late and he's really rewarded the staff with playing well. Like talk about a guy that has has fit with this new coaching staff and with this team. And and the other guy that has really played well and, and really thrived offensively with this coaching staff is Blake Coleman. Four game point streak for him, five goals, three assists over that span. He's up to 38 points in 44 games. He's already set a career high in goals. He's three assists away from setting a new career high in assists. And one point away from setting a career high in points. Again, along with Sharon Golvich, one of those guys who have really flourished offensively with this new coaching staff. And, you know, with this winning streak, all of this does is just push and it pushes the, the can down the line here for the trades that we all think that the Calgary Flames are going to make with all these pending trades free agent. So it's going to be really interesting to see how long they kick the can down the road here. Uh, Haley Salvian from the athletic joins me now. How are you today, Haley?
0: Hey, good. How are you?
1: I'm good. So I, I just talking about the flames here and, and the play mm-hmm. of Blake Coleman over the re, really over the course of the last 20 games has been fantastic. And the same can be said about Yegor Sharon It's really Mm -hmm. interesting to me with this flames team, because just when we think like, okay, you know, this isn't going well, it's going to really, you know, push the trade talk into high gear. And now they're starting to play well again. Mm -hmm. Um, How, how do you think this story goes here with the Calgary flames? You've covered this team in the Mm -hmm. past and you, and you know, you've been around Craig Conroy. I'm curious to see how Conroy manages this group going forward, because Like, can you still deal a bunch of these guys if you're within striking distance of a playoff spot at the deadline? Or do you think that this is all just a foregone conclusion that he's going to move out as many pieces as possible to look to the future?
0: It's a good question. And, And honestly, like, I'm curious to find out what they end up doing. Like I have a lot of the same questions that, that you do. And I think the flames are just so fascinating right now, you know, obviously They're a team that a lot of people like us, uh, people in the market, um, have talked about of how they could be such a central figure of the trade deadline. They've got Elias Lindholm, Chris Tanev, Noah Hannafin, all pending unrestricted free agents. Um, But, yeah, they're two points out of a wild card spot right now. So it is that kind of interesting question of, you know, are they going to hold on to those pieces and try to win or are they going to move on from them? And I think I just kind of – I keep going back to what Craig Conroy said – Uh, when he got the job and you know i know how difficult the day was that johnny gaudreau told the organization that he wasn't going to be signing um you know when he and he ended up testing the market of free agency and obviously signing with the columbus blue jackets um and craig conroy was front and center for that and that was a difficult thing for him craig conroy was big in, in signing johnny gaudreau's first deal right craig conroy was around for Um, all of Johnny Gaudreau's career in Calgary. And he has spoken about how he learned from that experience. And he's like, we're not going to do that again. You know, if if there are guys who are pending unrestricted free agents who we can sign to reasonable contracts, then, you know, we'll keep them around. If not, like, I'm not going to go through that again. So I kind of keep going back to that. I think the question is, like, what are reasonable extensions for Elias Lindholm right now? What's a reasonable extension for uh, a Chris Tanev or a Noah Hannafin? Does it make more sense for them to trade to the highest bidder? Um, or keep them in the organization. And I feel like for me, I just keep going back to, like, this is a team that has been spinning its wheels for a while now, right? And I think of um, obviously I spent some time in that market and I heard a lot from fans over over those years of, you know, we're just not good enough again. It was always kind of the sense of um, it's a team that's on again, off again. They're in the playoffs. They're out of the playoffs. They're a really good team. They're, you know, really bad team or somewhere in between, right? It's always, and the, the kind of average has always just been that they're in the mushy middle. Um, so I've kind of become like team just make the trades and retool a bit. I, I know that's easier said than done. I think even though they've been playing better lately and Blake Coleman's been great. Um, Jacob Markstrom, I can't say enough about how excellent he's been. He's leading the NHL and goals saved above expected. And I think the flames are always going to be in contention. Like they're going to be in striking distance, I guess it's better to say when Markstrom is playing the way that he is right now. Um, like he is too good for them to bottom out right now. Um, but like they only have a 38% chance of making the playoffs still. And even if they make it like, so you're, you're going to hold on to your UFAs, hope that you can sign them just to maybe make the playoffs in the wild card to what like lose to the jets or the Canucks or the Vegas golden Knights. Like, I just don't think that makes sense in the long run. Like that's my long winded way of getting to the fact of like, yes, we can talk about all these good things that's happening right now, but like, what's the end goal <laughs> that you maybe make the playoffs and you maybe win a game and then lose in the first round and then draft 13th overall. Like what does that do for your organization in the long run?
1: Yeah, I, I, totally, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. Now here's the, here's the other thing too. And it's not a slight against the city of Calgary. Cause I mean, I've never been, I've heard wonderful things. I have a buddy that lives out there it's and awesome. he loves it. Go, dude. Yeah, I, I should, it. I should. And so it, it's not a slight against the city, but it's more just how the city is perceived by nhl players around the league whatever the case may be but the idea of you know okay we have all this cap space because we you know we lost a bunch of unrestricted free agents and that's fine but you've also got to bring these guys in which to me is why there's a there's a there's an importance on trading for guys, younger guys to bring them in, like they did with a guy like Sharon Govich, who you can keep under your team control for however many years because he's a restricted free agent. And yes, you have to get them to sign those deals. But to me, that's more important in trying to bring in those guys that are under team control, that are you know pending restricted free agents. And those are the types of players you can get in deals for Lindholm or Hannafin or Tanev and really yeah. helps you build for the future because- I don't think a lot of big-name free agents are looking saying, like, Calgary's, you know, top's on my list of potential destinations here.
0: I mean, they got Blake Coleman when he was top dog, right? And I know they ended up paying a a higher price. Like, I'm sure if uh, Florida or, like, a different city was going to sign him, maybe they wouldn't have had to give him, like, that extra year, a little bit more money. But, like, don't forget that that's how they got Blake Coleman, was an unrestricted free agency when he was at its peak, right, coming off in another Stanley Cup off another impressive playoff run. Um they get Jacob Markstrom after another Vesna Caliber season. So like I, I do push back and maybe it's because I spent time in the city um, but like I do push back on the notion that like UFA's refuse to play in Calgary. Obviously, it's not a top destination, or the Flames would be signing every single top UFA every season, right? Like they would be, you know, getting everybody like the Vegas Golden Knights would be. So I do push back on that idea a little bit. They get Nazem Kadri, um, kind of at his peak. Um, you know, Jonathan Huberto signs the extension, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I I think I agree with you on the principle of when you're making trades like if and when they are making trades that involve guys like Elias Lindholm and Chris Tanev and Noah Hannafin, that, yeah, it should absolutely be for um, like young team controlled players, um, high draft picks, um, young prospects, guys that will be in your organization for a while. And I think for me that is more because like that is just the smarter trade to make. You want, if you're going to be doing a retool, Um, you want younger players that will be in team control. Like, I think I agree with that part, but not necessarily because, you know, the flames need to make sure they're getting young players because no one wants to sign there, you know?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, Haley Salvian from the athletic joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. So I talked a little bit about the, the Oilers and the Leafs from last night and, it's another two goal lead blown by the Leafs. They choke one away again. Um, this is an ongoing conversation here. And I don't really want to talk necessarily about the game last night, but more about mm-hmm. Brad Trilliving is the general manager here, as we all know. And as we all know, Brad Trilliving makes calls and finds out about everyone. Brad Trilliving mm-hmm. is always on the phone and you know, this uh, covering the, the Calgary flames and, and you understand <laughs> the job that he's done. What yeah. can you say to the Leafs fan base right now to make them feel better about this group and that it probably won't look like this after trade deadline?
0: Oh, gosh. Um, yeah, that like Tree Living is, you know, everyone always says that like he's one of the most active GMs in the league. He's always on the phone. He's always making calls, uh, seeing what's out there, getting the, getting the vibe check from other GMs. Um, it seems like he's been aggressive in looking at the d market, right That's something that people have been talking about for a while now, and I think that is something that he should be aggressive in because I've been uh talking about how that blue line has uh been my biggest not fear, that's ex- exaggerating. But I think it's when... It's a fear for the I Leaf talk- fan base, though, I'll yeah. tell you that much. <laughs> well, I think I will say, like, when we were heading into the season, I remember, I think I was either talking to Jeff or JD, and It's like, what do you think about this Leafs team? Like, do we like it? Is it better? Like, uh, don't love the blue line. Um, and obviously, I think a lot of fans would agree. So it seems like Brad Tree Living has been um, aggressive in, in making those calls. And yeah, like, you would think that he's, not going to just leave this roster as it is because I do think that and you know we don't have to talk about the game but like they did blow another two goal lead and they lost four in a row um, which is their longest losing streak of the season I think it matches their longest losing streak of the season because they've lost four straight before but that's four blown leads in a row and I, I've i seen a lot of discourse around like Sheldon Keefe um, and I, I just think Sheldon didn't wake up you know, two weeks ago and decide, like, I'm going to make this a team that doesn't play with a defensive structure anymore. Like, I, I I, think that the change is in the personnel. Um, you know, I think Sheldon Keefe showed that he could coach a blue line that had, you know, Benoit and Lagasin and, and Timmins on the back end. Um, so I, I do look at this Leafs team and think, like, if this is a personnel problem right now. Um, and I'm sure I'm not the only one that thinks that which is why it sounds like the GM is being aggressive and looking
1: for improvements so well not only that i don't know if that makes anyone no, feel no, better no, uh, well I, I don't after the, the way that the team has played in these blown leads i don't know that anything anyone could say could make them feel better but we try um we try to be a, a, an outlet for them uh, The the thing too is you know when you talk about sheldon keith he also didn't think that they were going to be on to martin jones at this point in the season either exactly. like joseph yeah, wall was playing really goalie. well yeah and and how many teams that get to their third goalie and this is not a slight against martin jones because he's played way better than anyone could have Expected. I, I sure. think a lot of people, there was a reason why Martin Jones got to where he did in free agency and didn't sign until late. Now, having yeah. said all that, um, at some point, they're going to get Joseph Wall back. The question becomes, what do they do with these two goalies? Because Ilya Samsonov has not been the answer. Um, yeah. Despite him, you know, dealing with you know, whatever stuff, it's a, it's a goalie thing. And I understand there's a lot of things going on in goalies heads, but sure. you know, when, when wall comes back, I'd be really curious to see what they do. Cause you're not sneaking Martin Jones through waivers. Like I wonder if we could see a situation where the Leafs are carrying three goalies until they can't.
0: Yeah, it's a good question. I don't know what they're gonna do. Like do you try to just wait do you just sneak Simpson off through waivers and just decide like Martin Jones is our second best goalie in the organization right now? Because I don't know like I don't have cat friendly up, but you would think that carrying three goalies wouldn't make a lot of sense if they're trying to like accrue cap space or have enough cap space to make a meaningful move at the deadline, right? Like when the the Dorov deal to Vancouver happened. I think a lot of Leafs fans were like, what the heck? Like, that's all they had to give? Like, why couldn't we have gotten in on that? And it was cap space uh, because the Canucks didn't want to retain salary. I think that's what Elliot reported. There's reports from Sportsnet about that's kind of what happened here. Um, so if we if we all agree that the Leafs need to make a meaningful change at the deadline and they need to bring in um, somebody to improve that blue line, is carrying three goalies really going to be the answer if that's going to have more uh, money on the book, so I don't know. Um, I feel like maybe we could see them carry the three because they don't want to lose somebody. But is that really the answer? Uh, <laughs>
1: hasn't like, been the answer, answer for anybody carry, yet. <laughs> like
0: three goalies that haven't like, and I will. Joseph Walt looked great, so I don't want to say three goalies who haven't like been good enough. But like the goaltending hasn't been great. Like, are you really just going to carry Martin Jones and Samsonov just because? if it's going to impact your ability to do something more important.
1: Yeah. no, Nobody wants to carry three goalies. I think that's been the, the overriding sentiment across the league is we don't want to, but come sometimes we have to. And, and I, underst- yeah. I understand that part of it. Um, I wanted to ask you about two Canadian teams that are at or near the top of the standings in the Western conference. I mean, in the mm-hmm. entire league, the Canucks and the Jets have had fantastic seasons, and the Jets get back on the winning track. They get Kyle Connor back, although they did lose Mark Scheifele, and he goes on the IR. Which mm-hmm. of these organizations is in more need of a lengthy playoff run here, the Canucks or the Jets? Because to me, it's two entirely different things. The 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 Canucks, maybe because of the fan base, and the Jets mm-hmm. because. Well, um, they just need it because they didn't have a lot of butts in the seats early on in the season, and it's an organization that got close a few years ago but hasn't really been close since
0: mm, I feel like i just I feel like it's the Canucks um, like I understand the butts in the seats part, but the Jets have at least had meaningful um playoff appearances of the last few years, right, and I think if you look at the Canucks, the last time they were in the postseason was the bubble, right? That was twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. That was a COVID COVID bubble year. So like there hasn't really been like a meaningful and I mean the other years, twenty fifteen, uh, twelve and thirteen, they made the playoffs, but they lost in the first round. So we're going back to two thousand eleven for like a meaningful uh, playoff run for the vancouver canucks which is when they lost in the cup final right mm-hmm. so i feel like i just i i default to the canucks because of that um i understand the button seat element with the jets but like they had i don't remember what year it was maybe that was a bubble year too but they had that great playoff run where they came back and ended up beating the oilers what in the first round yeah I don't remember what year that was, but I just remember that was like hilarious. <laughs> Honestly, the way that they came back and beat Edmonton. Um, and obviously the Oilers look great now. Um, but yeah, I I go I go for I go for Vancouver. It's been a been a hard stretch for for that organization. Um, not that it hasn't been difficult in Winnipeg too, but just look at everything that's happened like turmoil. I just feel like the last few years People only used to talk about the Canucks if they were, like, making fun of them or talking about drama in the organization. Um, And I just think that team looks great right now. Um, Rick Tockett's doing good stuff. Thatcher Demko's having a great year. Quinn Hughes, Elias Pettersson, JT Miller's playing better. Um, So I just feel like that fan base, as much as people love to hate Canucks fans, I feel like they're the ones that kind of deserve a good run. In my opinion, we all dunked on them for so long, like let them have a fun, a fun year, you know?
1: Well, I, I did a, a a hit with uh, Canucks talk yesterday and I was talking mm. to uh, Jamie Dodd and uh, Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance and they, I said, it's really hard being on the East coast here because you can't make fun of the Canucks anymore because they're too good. Like it's it, <laughs> for people, like for Leaf fans specifically to not be able to make fun of the Canucks, that's like a dagger in the heart. Because that's been the constant, oh, you know, you don't like games being played at four o'clock local time and we're going to go beat you anyway. Well, that doesn't happen anymore because the Canucks are are really, really good. Of the two two teams there between the the Canucks and the Jets, which is the bigger surprise as to how good these teams have been this year? Because both of them, I mean, you know, the, the way the Jets are doing it, they're doing it in two different ways, I guess is what I'm saying here, because the Jets... They defend really well. And not that the Canucks don't, but the Canucks can score with the best of them. And that's something that Winnipeg doesn't really do all that often, especially with the injuries they've had. Which has been the bigger surprise for you?
0: Um, I would say the Jets have been the biggest surprise only because I go back to the conversations that we were having about... Wait, did I just say the Canucks or the Jets?
1: (laughs) You said the the Jets. You said the Jets first. Okay,
0: good. That's what I thought. I just blanked on myself there. I go to the Jets because we go back to the conversations um, that we were having about the organization in the summer, right? And everything was about, well, we've probably seen the last of Mark Scheifele, Blake Wheeler, Connor Hellebuck, and Pierre-Luc Dubois. Like, they're all gone, uh, organizations taking a radical new approach. Like those are the conversations I was having that people were having about Winnipeg uh, after their season ended last year. Right. And obviously like Blake Wheeler um, goes to the Rangers, they make the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade, they sign Mark Shifley and Connor Hellebuck. And now this team um you know, is excellent. They're one of the best in the league right now. Um, You know, they have uh, among the top regulation wins in the NHL. They get Kyle Connor back. And I think that was, what was impressive to me is that they were winning at an impressive rate. I think at one point last week, they were on win number eight in a row. And they did that without Kyle Connor, who was one of the most naturally gifted goal scorers in the league. He's also on my fantasy team. And so that's like, I'm really happy that he's back.
1: Me too. um, Because (laughs) I
0: need him. (laughs) Just as a side. Um, But I think they're the pleasant surprise just because of the discourse around the Winnipeg Jets that we were having. And then we get the surprise matching deals for Shifley and Hellebuck. And I think the thing that has impressed me the most, I would say, about Winnipeg is that in years previous, um, the conversations we had about the Jets was, yeah, they look great, but if Hellebuck's not a 9.20 goalie, they're they're not winning this many games. And I don't feel that way this year. I feel like there is more of a like there's more to like about Winnipeg this year. Like it's not just Hellebuck keeping the team afloat, and I think that's what makes them um, the the biggest surprise and like the most uh, the most pleasant surprise, I should say.
1: Haley Salvian from The Athletic, joining Matt Marchese here on The Jeff Merrick Show. Uh, one more NHL question before I... I wanted to ask you a couple of uh, things about the PWHL. But, sure. you know, the, in a young man's game, the storylines over the course of the, the last week or so have been Sidney Crosby and Marc-Andre Fleury. And then last night, Joel Pavelski scores again. And he's got, you know, 38 points in, in 40... or Sorry, mm-hmm. 39 points in 43 games as a 39-year-old. Mm-hmm. Isn't it isn't it more impressive what these guys are doing right now because of the way the game has trended younger, like to see Joel Pavelski almost at a point a game at 39 years old to me is something that, you know, and he's he's not the fastest guy. He never has been the fastest guy, and maybe that's the advantage that he has because he's never had to play at a certain speed. It's always kind of just come to him that way. But mm-hmm. to me, I look at what these guys are doing at their, and I hate saying advanced ages because they're not much older <laughs> than me. Um, but they do play sports at an elite level, and well, I'd be old if I was doing that. How impressive is it for you what these guys are doing in a league where, you know, it's like 24, 25 year olds that have absolutely taken over and and that's great for the game, but these guys are still going at these ages and to me it's those are some of the more impressive stories that we've seen all year.
0: It must be so humbling for the 36 year olds who are listening to this show here you talk about Sidney Crosby being ancient.
1: Yeah, I'm 35, so I know how I know how I feel about it and I don't feel great about what it What a Haley.
0: miracle. I He's know. Still- um yeah I think that it's always going to be impressive as you said because of the way that the game is trended like when you just look at the way that like a Jack Hughes plays he's so he's so quick he's got great hands he's so skilled but like I've gotten to the point now and I think it it honestly like it sounds stupid to suggest that Sidney Crosby is underrated because he's not we've talked about this guy for more than a decade now in the NHL he's been one of the best players In the league for a really long time. But I do think we've gotten to a point where, like, he's underappreciated for all the other stuff that he does because we're so focused on, like, the highlight reel, right? Like, the game has gotten to a point where we're talking about, like, look at the move from Jack Hughes or look at the way, look at um, the Michigan yeah yeah like look at the michigan from Trevor egress like look at this like look at these like six skills and that's great like i love the highlight reels i love what these young guys do honestly like jack hughes is one of the most watchable players in the nhl for me but then like you watch the penguins and you watch Sidney crosby and you understand how critically important he still is to the success of that team right he's won the most face-offs in the nhl like he takes the most face-offs in the nhl he's on pace for more than 50 goals at 36 years old, like how many guys and not just like guys, how many of like the all time greats were, you know, trending towards like still excellent seasons at 36 years old. Right. Like I think when we see the drop off, it happens quick. And when like some of the top, top guys started to fall off, they're like, eh, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not playing like as good as I used to. And Crosby has still been so effective. And I do think that's something that's really impressive. Like at 36 years old, He's still having an excellent season. He's still very important. He scored so many clutch goals this season for the Penguins, whether it's um, a game winner, a game tying, like whatever it may be, he's top 10 in five-on-five points, five-on-five goals. Like, I really can't say enough about Sidney Crosby this season. Um, and, And I think Fleury is an interesting one, too. Joel Pavelski is someone who, like, I will believe it when I see it for him. Like, I always just... Like, I don't even check how old he is. I, I just know that he's going to be productive, and maybe it's because I covered the Flames for a few years and I spent more time actually in the Western Conference, and they had that playoff series against the Dallas Stars, and Joe Pavelski was, like, the guy uh, in that playoff series, and he was, you know, one-third of one of the most impactful and effective lines in the league when he was still on the top line with Jason Robertson uh, and Rope hint So I've got, like, all the respect in the world for Joe Pavelski and in his game, like that dude just scores goals and I will believe, believe it when I see it, that he's going to drop off and not be as elite of a goal scorer as he's been. But I think flurry is like one of the more interesting ones of that trio, honestly. Um, because, you know, obviously he gets the, he's second all time and wins. Super cool, especially knowing that Patrick Waugh was a childhood idol for him. And he did it in a game with a 21 save shutout, 74th of his career. He's played well lately, but like, I think what makes Flurry interesting is like, his numbers are just fine right now. He's got a sub 900 save percentage. Um, his goal saved above expected rate um, is not great this season. He's been better in the last month. Um, But like flurry is always a guy that like teams are going to covet and people are going to talk about because of the pedigree and like the body of work. Right. Like I, I think the thing that makes flurry more interesting than like a Crosby and a Joe Pavelski is like, is he going to finish the season with the Minnesota wild? (laughs) Like that's my question. I think the wild are still kind of on the fringe of a playoff, right? Playoff race, excuse me. And, um, Bill Guerin told one of my colleagues at the Athletic that it's too early to be asking that question. He's got a no move clause, but like, Warriors won three Stanley Cups. There's a lot of teams who probably need either like a veteran in the playoffs, or at least just like a a veteran guy to insulate a younger. Younger goalie like the Leafs could come to mind. I, no, I don't think the Leafs are going to go trade for Marc Andre Fleury, but like, how fun would it be if you had Fleury kind of taking Joseph Wall under his wing? So I don't know. I, of all the like Crosby, not shocked that he's still doing this. Pavelski, not shocked. Fleury is like more interesting to me because that there's that element of like, could he be on the move? What value does he have for other teams? He's 39 years old. I don't know. I think it's interesting. But yeah, I think all three are impressive but i don't know if we should be totally surprised that they're still
1: playing well Uh, probably three hall of famers so you're you're very right in in that assessment uh wanted to ask you a a quick one here about the the pwhl so last night another well-attended game uh between montreal and new york uh just over six thousand people um Mm -hmm. and marie philippe poulain scores another clutch goal shocker uh and her and abby rock get into it off of a face-off Yeah, honestly, right? Who who could have thunk that? Um, when you look at the league over the course of the first few weeks here, how do you evaluate the early success of this league? Like, I mean, it's working, and that's very important yeah. for the sport. Is it just as simple as, listen, this is the best quality of players that we've put together on these teams and in and, and women's hockey period that we've seen, and this is how the fans are supporting it because this is the best group and these are the best players and it's run properly. Like, are all yeah. those things just the, the simple formula for making this work right now?
0: Yep. <laughs> like, this is why uh, the players wanted something kind of new and different, right? They, the, the women's hockey's never had a billionaire owner sitting the bill before. Women's hockey's never had one league in North America for all the best players. Um, fans, you know, I think I would look to, you know, women's hockey fans were always divided, right? Like if there was a fan who really wanted to watch Mary-Philippe Poulin, they'd watch the Canadian Women's Hockey League or the PWHPA showcases. If there was a fan who really wanted to watch Jillian Dempsey, they'd go and watch the PHF. Um, and they'd go watch the Boston Pride. Um, Now, if there's fans who want to watch Poulain and Dempsey, they're just watching PWHL Montreal, right? So the eyeballs are no longer spliced. The butts in the seats are no longer divided. The sponsorship dollars are all going to one place. The investment's all going to one place. um, And that's why, you know, the conversations about one unified pro league for all the best players was so important, because we've really never had that. Um, And I think fans have never had that like women's hockey at the Olympics at world championships. We know that people watch, we know that people care and I know it's different because there's an emotional attachment to cheering for your country, Canada versus USA. It's a great rivalry like women's hockey at the pro level has never been able to have that like best on best format, um, you know, in a full-time space. And I think the, the pro game really suffered from that. And like, we're already seeing like, the spiciness of these games. You mentioned Abby rock, like she is such a pain to play against. She's such a fiery player. The games are physical. Like I know it's not Canada USA anymore. So there isn't the same amount of, um, you know, emotion for your country behind it. But I do think fans are already starting to get behind their own teams and get behind their favorite players. And yeah, I think it's as, I think it's as simple as saying like, yep, all the best players are in one spot and, the games are on TV and there's rinks for the most part uh, in a accessible location. I think New York and Boston, like th- those teams will probably struggle to have consistent um, great attendance figures. Cause they're, you know, 45 minutes outside of Boston and they're in Bridgeport, Connecticut, not New York, but it's not hard to get to the athletic center. It's not hard to get to Lansdowne. down. Um, it's not hard to get to Verdun auditorium or, or Place Bell for the Canadian teams. Um, so yeah, I think we're seeing, um this work it's easy to watch the games right they're on sportsnet they're on tsn they're on cbc they're on youtube there's no blackout. It's like it's accessible it's a good product there's money behind it and i think it's as simple as that and i think it's kind of crazy it took till 2024 for them to just get those like pillars in place but it's finally here and it's working
1: I always say, uh, some things, the most obvi- sometimes the most obvious things aren't obvious to everyone. Uh, and yeah. this was an obvious one. Uh, yeah. Haley, thanks as always for taking some time for us on the show. Really appreciate it. And, uh, Jeff will talk to you next week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Sounds good. Thanks.
1: There she goes. Haley Salvian from the athletic, uh, we're tight on time here. We got to take a break. When we come back, uh, Jack Eichel going on the IR and nobody knows what the heck happened. Maybe our next guest does. Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun will join us. We'll try and figure out this puzzle with Jack Eichel and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick on The Jeff Merrick Show. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360.
0: Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's the fan checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick show on the Sportsnet
1: radio network. Welcome back to the Jeff Merrick show. Matt Marchese in for Jeff for the next two days. And he will be back on Friday uh, before we get to our next guest, just something to keep an eye on. Um, according to many sources, Amazon is set to acquire a stake in diamond sports under their bankruptcy reorganization uh, prime video to become a primary streaming partner For regional sports networks. Let's not forget, Bally Sports owns or they had streaming rights or broadcast rights to NHL games with a lot of teams, specifically on the West Coast. So, this is a very interesting one. Uh, If we get free John tomorrow, if he's able to join us, uh, we'll have a conversation about that. But something to keep an eye on. Something else to keep an eye on is the Vegas Golden Knights and everything that's going on with them right now. um, They're banged up again. And Jack Eichel is the latest, underwent a successful lower body surgery and is week to week. Danny Webster from the Las Vegas Sun joins us now. Danny, how are you today?
2: Doing good, Matt. How are you?
1: I'm good. Um, I'm trying to figure out this Jack Eichel thing. I'm sure you are as well. It's a lower body injury. Uh, Everybody thought it was a skate issue when it originally happened. Then he goes back to the locker room, comes back out, gets an assist on the winning goal. You're like, okay, Jack Eichel's fine. And then he ends up on the IR with the surgery. Can you put the puzzle pieces together here as to maybe potentially what this injury is and how long he may be out? Because uh, last time I checked, this is a big one.
2: Yeah. So I was actually confused myself because when you look back at the actual play, I thought that he maybe suffered an upper body injury. Um, I, and so you see that his skate blade looked like it came off and then he goes to the bench and he hunches over when he gets to the bench. So I'm like, okay, maybe it's something upper body when he goes back to the locker room. And then he spoke with us after the game and he said, yeah, I feel fine. I feel great. And then the next day uh, he goes in for testing and him and the medical staff after further evaluation, say he's a little sore, uh, doesn't play Saturday. Uh, Bruce Cassidy rules him out for uh, Monday's game as well. And now suddenly Jack Eichel's on IR, he's had surgery, and now the Golden Knights have seven players on injured reserve, uh, I believe four of them now over the course of the last three weeks since the calendar turned to 2024. Um, So, like you said, this is a very big one, obviously. He was their all-star representative. He was having, really on pace to have the best season of his career, coming off quite an incredible performance in the playoffs. And now the Golden Knights are left scrambling without not just one of their top six centers, but now their top center. And now they're trying to scramble for any positivity considering the last month has been a really rough time for them.
1: Eichel, Theodore, Aiden Hill, uh, William Carlson, like we can go down the list of players that are on the, the injured reserve right now. And it's it's not pretty. Um, is there a sense among the fan base that this is kind of the, here we go again, like it was a couple of years ago where, you know, had they been healthy, they would have made the playoffs probably would have gone on a long playoff run and they just didn't get in. Um, and now you look at it and say, well, is this, this happening again? And especially losing a guy like Jack Eichel where in years past it was Mark stone and we'll get to him in a few minutes. But is there that sense among the fan base that it's like, Oh boy, is this happening again?
2: There, there is that sense right now. I, I don't think it'll increase to the 500-man games lost that were in 2022. <laughs> and that, and that, was, that was a time. And, and to me, that's always going to be the greatest what-if, is if that team was healthy, how far could they have gone, considering they went all the way to the second-to-last game of the season and almost made the playoffs. So I think the fact that what they went through last year winning the Cup has now kind of accelerated the process as in, okay, as long as we get into the playoffs, we know we have a capable team that can go into the field of 16 and defend this championship. And, and I think that gives it a little bit more plausibility, a little bit more relief this time around, knowing that where they are in the standings right now, which is second in the Pacific, tied in points percentage with LA. So they're right there, neck and neck. Vancouver obviously they're looking up at I think overall given the fact that what they did last year and how they were able to overcome not having Mark Stone for the second half of last season still make to the playoffs go on that run that they did I think it gives fans a little bit more not that the sky is falling type of mentality this time around knowing that as long as they get into the playoffs and they're healthy they got as good a chance as anybody of getting back to the final.
1: And, and that brings us to the conversation about, well, trade deadline is it's, it's far enough away, but it's not far enough away where we can't say, well, this is going to impact, you know, their trade plans. Like if, if they think that, you know, Jack Eichel, he needs to go on the LTIR and it opens up some space and they can do something with that. The question is, what is, is there a reluctance to kind of go all in again, knowing that, you have guys on big tickets and, you know, you, you. I don't want to say you overpaid for a guy like Barbashev, but maybe you overpaid a little bit for a guy like Barbashev to keep him in the fold. And, you know, you're tied up against the cap. Where do you think the front office's uh, willingness to to go for it again is maybe regardless of the Eichel injury, if they think they can just kind of get through it with Chandler Stevenson as the number one center. He's done it in the past. Um, but do you think that there is a reluctance to move out pieces where, because they won a Stanley cup last year and it's like, we don't need to do this. We can kind of keep the train rolling forward with the guys that we have. And if we get in great, if we don't, we can look to next year.
2: Yeah, that's, that's the, that's the interesting part about this. Cause if you look at this group, there's only two players from last year's team, essentially that are not on the roster anymore. And that's Riley Smith and Phil Kessel. They brought everybody back with the feeling that they could get it done with this group again. And I think there is that belief that if they get everybody healthy, if they can get into the playoffs as either the number two or the number three in the Pacific, that they can go in and, you know, wreak havoc again. But I do think knowing this front office and the way that they have always been willing to go big game hunting around this time of year and, you know, obviously, you look at the moves they made last year. You know, Ivan Barbashev wasn't a top-line player last year, but he developed into something that was, you know, worthy of that $5 million AAV. They go out and get Teddy Bluger, who was a very good penalty-killer fourth-line guy for them when Nick Wall was out, and he provided some very valuable minutes in the playoffs as well. And then Jonathan Quick, when they were down to their fifth goaltender at this point uh, with all the injuries they had in, in net last year, they get Jonathan Quick, and he comes in, and provides, uh, serviceable minutes, uh, before the romper and Aiden Hill come back. So there is always going to be, I think, some needs that this front office is always going to look at and say, yeah, I think we should go ahead and address this as far as like big game hunting. I don't think there's that player this year, which, it, you know, we're a month out from the deadline. It, it's kind of weird to think that there's not a, a huge trade target that the that you look at and say oh well the golden knights can create this kind of space and this kind of trade package they can go get but i do think if the opportunity is there to get like a decent depth player a decent you know middle six kind of guy i think the options will be there and they'll do whatever they can to do it
1: uh danny webster from the las vegas sun joining matt marchese here on the jeff merrick show mark stone hat trick the other night and it's like Mark stone is one of my favorite players to watch because he's not the fastest. He doesn't have the best hands. He's got good hands. He doesn't have the best hands. He doesn't have the best shot, but he knows where to be. He's a, he's a very good player without the puck. And it's just, honestly, it's more of a comment than anything. Danny is that it's nice to see that Mark stone can play games and knock on wood that he can continue to play games healthy, because when you watch him, he's one of the more underappreciated players in the game, I think. And granted, I know he just won a Stanley Cup. He's the captain of the organization. But there's not a lot of talk about Mark Stone and how and how really great he is, considering that he makes up for a lot of deficiencies in his game because he just works hard and he's a smart player.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you you talk about him last year, Last year, I think he was gonna be on pace to get back to being a Selkie finalist, getting back to having probably the best year of his career before he had his second back surgery in less than a year. And when he went down last January, everyone's talking about, is his career over? And and, and obviously I think when he came back is, you know, he put that notion to bed real quick that no, it was something that, you know, he was able to get taken care of and, you know, go going forward as far as you know getting that treated and I think what people were reminded in the playoffs is everything that you said that he is when he is healthy and when he is on his game he is one of the most methodical one of the most dangerous players in the league and has nothing to do with his skating has nothing to do with his speed his hockey IQ is absolutely insane the ability for him to break up a play anywhere in the offensive zone as one of the best defensive forwards in the game And then, you know, he goes out in game five of the Stanley Cup final after already having a postseason to remember and goes out and has, you know, first hat trick since Forsberg in 96. And then I think it was, what was it, the first clinching hat trick since 1928, I think it was, or something along to those effects. And, you know, he just has this knack that whenever the lights are brightest, he has been one of the golden knights best big game players and you know he wears the c for a reason he's that guy that with everybody out now he has to take more of an onus on himself and and he he kind of dispelled that notion the other night you know saying everyone has to play their game but i think right now given the way everything's going right now it's on mark stone and if he can stay healthy and if he can continue to play at this level that he's been playing at that's why I think the Golden Knights, there's a lot of confidence that they can stay afloat and when everybody comes back, that they're able to you know turn on that next year and move forward heading into the playoffs.
1: Uh, one more before we let you go, Danny. Is there any updates on any of these guys, you know, when we might see them back? Because we talk about, you know, you mentioned where the Golden Knights are in the standings, despite these injuries. And and I know over the course of, I, before the All-Star break, they don't play, like from now until the All-Star break, they don't play a lot of games because they have their bye week at like the end of January. And it's like six games, seven games before the All-Star break. It's not a ton. Um, do you think this is just a patience thing here? And they're not... I mean, you're, you don't want to rush anybody back and you probably don't need to right now, but is this a, a case where we might see a few of these guys return just after the all-star break with this, you know, light schedule coming up?
2: Yeah, that's my hunch. I, I have a, I have a strong sense that that's when we're going to see Shea Theodore back. And and I, he's been out since late November with uh surgery on an upper body injury. I think all signs indicate that if it's not after the all-star break, it's going to be a little bit after, um, Aiden Hill, I think, is the biggest question mark right now just because he returned for the game against Ottawa, played six minutes left, and then he's been out since. He's been trying to give it a go the last little bit, um, but he's still not ready to return. Um, my guess would be is if they can get Yuri Patera back, their number three goalie uh, who's been dealing with injury as Well, if he can come back and provide the backup duties to Logan Thompson on this Uh, East coast road trip next week that they will be able to do that. Um, William Carlson, I think is still maybe a couple weeks out. So probably after the all-star break, I think they want to hold him out a little bit with the patience thing. Um, Maybe the same with William Carrier. I think though, he might be a little bit closer uh, from what I'm gathering. So that is good news there. Uh, Ben Hutton is skating on his own. uh, Not quite yet ready to rejoin the group. And I think that's it. I am. No, I have no <laughs> it's idea. a laundry
1: list. I know <laughs> it is a
2: laundry list is ridiculous. Uh, Tobias Bjornfoot, who they acquired on waivers uh, went on IR one game after uh, he was uh, claimed off waivers from the Kings. Uh, no update on him. So I, I think that covers about everybody. And, you know, I think for the sake of Jack Eichel, I think everybody's just crossing their fingers that, it's not deep into the season that he can come back before the playoffs.
1: I, I think we're all hoping for that. As fans of the game, you always want to see Jack Eichel when he's at his healthiest and uh, and playing his best hockey. Uh, Danny, this has been great. Thanks so much for doing this today. Really appreciate it. And uh, I, I guess enjoy the light schedule before the All-Star break, before things start to ramp up after that. Thanks again for doing this.
2: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Matt.
1: There he goes. Danny Webster from the Las Vegas sun time now for line change presented by sports interaction. Your homegrown sports book bet local. We're looking at the Canadians at the Devils tonight. The puck line is Devils minus one and a half. The Devils have won 12 of the last 15 against Montreal. The total has gone over in six of the last eight between these two teams in New Jersey. Uh, the over has hit in 10 of the last 15 Canadians games. Cole Caulfield riding a three-game point streak where he has two goals and two assists in that span. So New Jersey currently sits six in the Metropolitan. They're 6-3-1 and one in their last 10. It's just such a weird division this year. You think the Penguins are out, then they're in. You think the Islanders are out, then they're in. The Caps were flying, and then they're not. Philly surely couldn't make the playoffs with this team. Well, there they are. Um, and then there's the devils who we thought broke the Rangers. The Rangers have been good and the devils have been battling a ton of injuries. This is from, uh, our friend, John Bartlett. I want to get this out there. We'll be on the call for tonight's game with Gary and Kyle Bukoskis, your played his 82nd career game on Monday. Devils, Jack Hughes had a, had fairly similar numbers over the course of 82 games. Um, Their numbers are oddly similar. It's actually quite something to look at. Uh, Sportsnet Stats has it, so you can look that one up there. Uh, That game tonight, you can watch it on Sportsnet, of course. That's going to do it for hour one. Oh, actually, sorry. That was Line Change presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sportsbook, Met Local. That's going to do it for us for hour one. When we come back, Jason Demers, NHL Network Analyst, former NHL defenseman, he will join us. We're going to look around the league at a bunch of stories. All that and more on the Jeff Merrick show. Matt Marchese filling in. We'll be back in a few.
0: Everything Raptors before and after the games, the Raptor show with Will Lou subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick show on the Sportsnet radio network.
1: Well, welcome back, hour two of the Jeff Merrick Show. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff. Uh, you're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360. Just something to pass along here. Uh, the Sabres, well, they were supposed to host the Blackhawks tonight. And uh, the weather in Buffalo is not allowing that to happen. So that game will be played tomorrow night. I mean,. I feel for the people in the city of Buffalo because that weather, I, there are a lot of people in the United States of America that talk about the bad weather that we have up here in Canada. And I say, shame on you. You should see what happens in Buffalo. Look no further than what happened at the football game this weekend. They had to move that people were climbing over snowbanks to get into their seats. It was a disaster. So that game will be moved uh, Detroit and Florida. The only other game on the sked aside from Montreal and New Jersey. Okay. uh, Pleased to be joined on the line now. uh, Former NHL defenseman. He now does analyst work for the NHL network is Jason Demers. Jason, how are you today?
3: I'm doing good, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for
1: doing this. Um, Listen, I have to get, we're going to play a clip here. And you've got to listen to this because you're a former defenseman yourself. And as someone who is myself part of the forward Uh, community and not a defenseman. This is, this is Sean Dursey and he's on the what chaos podcast hosted by Pete Blackburn and DJ bean. Here's Sean Dursey. You want to get your take on this? Do you think you could play forward?
3: Easiest position in sports. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> we actually do a d and goalie dinner every month here in arizona and and the main topic of conversation is how much we can't trust the forwards. so it's it's pretty funny actually
1: i can't tell if we're still doing the bit you actually have get-togethers to sh- talk oh, your forwards
3: 100 percent. it's uh it's our favorite conversation to have and you know it's always with a nice steak and you know maybe a bottle of red wine but it's it's a good laugh always about talking about the forwards
1: Okay. So I want to know from you, former NHL defenseman, um, is playing forward easier. I know it's easier than playing defense, but do these things really happen? Like, have you ever had
3: uh, an anti-forward, uh, dinner with your defense partners and goalies? I don't think I've ever had an anti-forward thing. I just know that, you know, every coach will tell the D man, listen, don't trust the forwards. So make sure when you're making decisions on the ice, it's, uh, in the back of your mind, know that you're probably not getting any help from the forward group. But I mean, there's that's kind of the fun part about being in an NHL locker room is there's always the you know forwards against the D and the goalie. So you know, I'm sure the forwards, every forward I played with is always like, oh, the D can't make a tape to tape pass, and it's always a rim and it's on the wall. So we give it back to him and and just tell them, you know, make a play. So we always, I mean, it's always a fun little back and forth between uh demon and Ford's, but I agree with him. You can't trust the Ford. I don't think I'd ever go to dinner and, and <laughs> talk my deep, but I think it was, uh, it's all in good fun. So.
1: Yeah. I, I can't imagine that. I mean, it would probably, it probably would be a lot of fun to to talk a lot of crap about uh, an opposing uh, teammate all, all in good fun, of course. So last night uh, I want this is, this is something that I, I mean. You've been in NHL locker room, so you know the Sharks and the Blackhawks. They play last night. Everybody dubbing it the Celebrini Bowl, and oh, these are two <laughs> teams that are going for the first overall pick and all that stuff. But how much do you think the players hear the noise about that? Because at the end of the day, these are guys that are still playing for jobs for next year too, or they're playing to get traded in the season. Like, do a lot of guys take that to heart and be like, "We're still professionals here. We still have a job to do." Um, how tough do you think that is for for guys on these teams
3: i mean listen i have never i'm not a fan of the tanking culture and the and the mindset that's kind of crept into sports where it's like listen we're you don't think you have a good team well let's just lose every game and hopefully we get this savior that's going to come and turn our franchise around and i mean that's so rare that that actually happens so and guys hear it i mean listen you can't we're in a, we're in the media golden age where everybody's got twitter everybody's got instagram you're constantly getting inundated with tons of tons of content from you know fans and media and and they're all saying the same thing and you know i'm i did the the game last night uh for the sharks and watched that game and you know you feel for guys because at the end of the day it's you know gms are putting these teams together and sometimes you you're just working with what you got and you're trying to filter in these young guys to hopefully grow them and develop them. And, you know, it takes time. Um, I've never been a fan of using an NHL team as like, a a, an AHL hockey team for development. I think that's for the, that's for the AHL. I think you should always be trying to win, but listen, we're sometimes you just can't do that and contracts exclude you from, from being able to consistently put a, a, a team on the ice that's competitive. So, but guys certainly hear it and to your point, like you playing for contracts, you're playing for jobs. You're trying to stay in the NHL. It's the greatest league in the world. And, um, you're trying to, you know, play for your family. You're trying to, you have kids, a lot of guys get family. So they hear it. And, and it's just about blocking out the noise though. And, and fans are going to be fans and there needs to be a storyline for, for every team to, to keep, keep fans engaged. Um, but yeah, it's certainly something you don't like to hear, but listen, uh, now that I'm on the media side, I'm on the dark side. I kind of <laughs> I jump in on the conversations, and I was saying it was the Celebrini Bowl and it was the tank, the toilet bowl last night between Chicago and. But it was a good game. It was a good hockey game. There was good hockey to be played, and uh, that shootout was pretty wild. So
1: and and the fight between Scott Sabron and Jared Tenardi wasn't so bad either. I mean, I wouldn't want to tussle with right. either of those guys, but that was a that was as heavyweight a tilt as you're gonna get.
3: Yeah. Oh, I mean. Tenority, I mean, it was a good burrows fought earlier and then Tenority laid a big hit and, uh, I thought it was a great fight. I mean, it, kind of turned the game around for the sharks, but I mean, Sabrin coming up, he's a guy fighting for a job night in and night out. And, and without on the positive side of tanking, without the opportunity to be tanking, you know, a guy like Sabrin probably wouldn't get called up to the NHL and he gets called up and he might've earned some points because there are scouts at every game and everybody's watching at all times. And, you know, I always look to a good example on the positive side of tanking is, you know, if you look in Arizona with Liam O'Brien, Liam O'Brien was a fill in three, four years ago when they were tanking kind of the coyotes. And he's now kind of established himself as a, an NHL player. And I think he's a guy that at deadline deadline this year could be traded and, and could be an asset. So I think it, if guys take seize the opportunity and they, they do what they can to kind of, you know, make their case to stay in the NHL, I think it it works out great and it helps guys get jobs, but you know, it's, it's blocking out that noise for sure. For sure.
1: Jason DeVars, NHL Network analyst and former NHL defenseman, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. I wanted to ask you about that Coyotes team that you played on the last year that you were there. And you you look at the group, like Clayton Keller was there, Nick Schmaltz, Lawson Krause, Barrett Hayton. And then you look at the goalies, Aiden Hill, Antti Rantha, Darcy Kemper, uh, uh, Ivan Prosvitov. I mean, it was, it just really looked like a group that was just kind of a a couple of years away because you look at, you know, the additions that they've made. They drafted Clayton Keller. Uh, Dylan Gunther's made an impact and Matthias Michelli. Like you could go down the list. It's become a really fun group to watch and a team that's kind of right around um, the playoffs. Did it feel like that when you were there with that group that it was just, it was a bunch of guys that were just maybe a couple of years away from really making an impact?
3: Yeah, I think we, we, developed something nice there. And, you know, I wish they would have gave us a, a year or two more to kind of continue with that. And, uh, you know, they kind of moved off a lot of veterans and brought in some new guys and, and leaned more on the young group, but they've done a great job. Uh, you know, Andre Tourigny is uh, coming in as kind of a no-name-ish coach and doing a great job turning this team around and he's got them playing the right way. And obviously they uh, had a great start to this season, but you know, I have a soft spot for all those guys. You know, Clayton and and Nick Schmaltz, Lawson Krauss. I mean, they're such a great group of kids. uh You know, Barrett Hayden as well. They've they've really put in the effort, and and you know, with expectations being so low, I feel like they've shot over top of that and then some. And and you know, they're they want to make the playoffs. They have aspirations to make the playoffs. You know, they've kind of struggled recently the past couple weeks, but. You know they're right there they're they're maybe one piece away i would like to see them actually go pick something up um at the deadline or maybe before the deadline i know you know bill Armstrong's made a lot of trades for picks and they got so many draft picks and i know it gets a little tempting to just kind of just keep building the draft pick pool it gives you time as a gm to uh you know keep a job and, and and stay in the league so I'd like to see him make he maybe pull a trigger on a defenseman a young d-man or something like that and and try to uh make the playoffs because you know I know obviously that's what the NHL is about is trying to make the league and it'd be sorry try to make the playoffs and I mean I think it would be amazing to watch a NHL playoff game at the Mullet Arena which is uh which is a little bit different but it uh, for fans, it's like an incredible experience.
1: Well, I was going to ask you about like how many of those guys do you still keep in touch with because I mean, I, I know there's a lot of jokes that were made about playing there, and and I get it. It I mean, it shouldn't really happen in the National Hockey League. Like you shouldn't be playing in front of five thousand fans. You should be playing in front of eighteen thousand fans, whatever the case may be. But. Do they like playing in that rink? Like maybe for some of the college guys, it's not a, a far cry from what they're used to, but for guys that have played in the NHL and you go to these other rinks, it's obviously a big difference, but like, do they mind it? I don't know what the facilities are like, so I can't pretend to to know or, or make a guess about that, but I, I'm assuming they would want to play in a real NHL rink.
3: Yeah, listen, it's, I make no qualms about it. There's no way that an NHL team should be in a college rink like i think that's just horrible and, and i don't like anything about it but as a fan um going to the games and i have been to a couple games there it's a great experience you know as a player i would despise it just because you know you're in the nhl and you know you're not playing college hockey so and i know it's, it's just the way it is with with the ownership there and and you kind of got to take your lumps but you know, I've talked to a lot of the guys there. They enjoy it playing there. It gets really loud and rowdy in there and the fans are great. So it's, it's a great experience in terms of the atmosphere. I mean, I've talked to a lot of guys that have been on the road and, uh the away teams playing there. And I mean, a lot of them don't like it. They just, they just think it's a little bit Mickey mouse. And, uh, I'd like to see a change. I don't know where we're on the horizon. They are in terms of how close they are to a rink or, but that, you know, if they broke ground on a rink tomorrow, it would still be three, four years out. So I think they need to find a more permanent solution, but as a fan and and just from the lens of a fan and, and an analyst and being able to go watch a hockey game and study the game, I mean, it's a, it's a great atmosphere and it's an amazing way to watch NHL hockey. I mean, to watch you know, Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, Kale McCarr, these guys play on that ice and being that close to them. I mean, it's a treat. You you never get that kind of experience anywhere else in the league.
1: Yeah, so. it's it definitely a different uh, experience. I wanted to talk to you. Um, one more thing about that, the the Coyotes teams that you played on. Like you played for Rick Talkett, and you see the success that he's had in Vancouver one is it a surprise to you the impact that he's had on this team, and B or two whatever number or letter I'm on, what was it like
3: playing for him? I mean, uh, we have we had a roller coaster relationship, and uh, I don't know if I'd be at liberty to really say what I really felt, but <laughs> um, it was a two way street. We uh, we ended on a very horrible terms, um, but he's. Uh, he knows that to get the most out of players and, uh, I think they have a well put together hockey team there. I think the moves they made for the defense that they've picked up is, uh, was phenomenal and and they're a hard team to play against. They're, they're very much a counter punching style team. And, and, uh, I think, you know, up front with that Pedersen, uh, Besser and JT Miller line, I mean, that's arguably one of the best lines in hockey right now. And, And if not, you know, top two, three. And they're getting some quality scoring. Connor Garland, I played with him. He's he's been amazing for them with Dakota Johnson. And um uh you know, they've they've just up and down the lineup. I feel like they've they've been overachieving and overperforming. And you always have to look to, to the coach when that happens. And, you know, I'm sure he's uh he's done a good job. I know Sergei Gonchar there's done an amazing job job as well. And Adam foot I've heard a lot of great things about Sergei Gonchar. So but listen, he whatever I have personally with Rick Tockett, he's getting the most out of those players, and um, they're uh, they're I think a surprise to a lot of teams. But I watched them uh, at MSG play the Rangers, and I mean they're for real. They're they're a, they're a really good team, especially with that goalie and Demko back there. Uh, they're scary if they stay healthy, and you know I think they're out. I think they're on. I heard they're on the lookout for a another, maybe a second line center or, or another second line winger. And I mean, if they can pick somebody up, that's uh, a good price. Um, and doesn't cost too much. I mean, I think they're going to be pretty scary in that West. That's, you know, already has the avalanche and, and the golden Knights. And, uh, even the Oilers right now that are coming on, I think it's going to be an interesting, uh, finish, but they're one of my teams, my dark horses to, to, to win it this year. If they stay healthy, you mentioned the Oilers there.
1: 11 game rip right now. They're doing it. They're doing it in a way that if we're all being honest here, I don't think any of us saw the, this Oilers team being able to, you know, only give up two goals and win games or, or only give up one goal and win two, one Um, they're doing it a different way under Chris Knobloch. Is this just a case of like, they're playing better defensively. They're getting better goaltending, like all the simple things that turn things around. Or do you see something else on this run where you're like, no, this is a different looking team structurally. They're doing different things and yes, they are getting good goaltending, but maybe it's because, well, they're not giving up high quality chances like they were before. And that's part of this 11 game win streak that they're on, which is a franchise record, which is also a crazy thing considering, you know, there were some pretty good yeah, those- Oilers teams in the eighties and early nineties there.
3: I mean, they've, they've always been streaky and especially this year and, but sitting down and watching the games and, and, being at training camp there last year and and getting a game with them and and kind of watching them from a distance all last year I mean they're again like they have arguably the two best players in the world um they're always going to be competitive Zach Hyman is having another career year and he's a player that you know when you look back at the Maple Leafs guys they lost I mean he's an absolute horse and, and incredible player and I think they've had an amazing um, coming out party recently with you know Warren Fogle uh, and McLeod, who's been great for them as a blade. And I think they've are finally leaning on their bottom two lines, maybe a little bit more, and they're getting that more of that depth scoring that's something they were missing. Like they were never getting depth scoring, and when they get depth scoring, they're hard to beat. And and if you look at Evan Bouchard, who's really taken a step forward this year, so it, it's they have all the pieces to compete and, and, and when, anytime you have Connor, I mean, he's going to keep you in any game it doesn't matter who you're playing. Um, so for them, it's always the scary thing's been defense and goaltending and they're getting the goaltending from Skinner. Now, can he keep it up through the playoffs? I don't know, because once you get to the playoffs and they are going to make the playoffs, I think, and they're going to keep rolling. It'll be, easy. we said that at the beginning of the year when they were two, nine and one, we're like, there's no way they don't make the playoffs with those two players but it's going to be kind of once the playoffs start if they lose a game where they kind of get blown out and, and Skinner doesn't have a good game now what happens with the pressure starts rolling in and, and the Edmonton media that's kind of always the the issue that I see is, is it's going good now but once the bright lights are on and in, in the playoffs so that's the next hurdle they have to overcome but I mean they have all the tools to do it and and you know I I've spent a little bit of time with, with Skinner and he's a great kid and, and a great competitor. So you, you pull for him and you pull for that decor that's been getting a lot of flack. Um, I still think they need another demon, you know, if they could scoop up a top four guy somewhere, even like a Taneb, if it could fit, I don't know, financially, that's where I'm not. The, the mathing side of it is, is a little bit tough, but, um, yeah, it's, they're just one of those teams where, Everybody expects him to, to do well, and, and but once the playoffs start, that's going to be the interesting part, because we all know they're going to make it in the playoffs, but what's going to happen once it starts?
1: Yeah. Jason Demers, NHL Network Analyst and former NHL defenseman, joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick Show. I wanted to ask you a question about um, this new style of shooting. And so Austin Matthews and Connor Bedard are kind of at the pinnacle of this right now, which is crazy for me to say that Connor Bedard is at the pinnacle of anything. He's 18 years old, but the way him and Austin Matthews shoot the puck. And for those that don't know, I mean, you've seen it. They pull the puck and they come really far inside to shoot the puck. And they get a lot of torque on that, which I still, to this day, do not know how they get so much torque that close to your body, but they're doing it. How the heck do you defend that as a defenseman? Because it's a weird angle. And you know, you're expecting them to shoot from a different position and then they pull it in tight. Is that something that you might see more guys try and replicate because of the weird angle that it comes off on? And maybe it is a little bit harder to defend.
3: Well, I mean, that kind of style of shooting, the pull it around the stick and and through the D man, that's kind of been around for a while. They've just kind of perfected it. And you know, the way they get that top hand out away from their body. And it's, it's pretty incredible how, like you said, how they get that much torque. I mean, I, for sure guys are, it is a copycat league, like guys, kids coming up are seeing that now and they're for sure practicing that every day, how to shoot like that. And defending it was always, it's always tough because you almost have to, you can't, go typically stick on puck like you normally would for most guys when they're going to shoot you're going to you know as a d-man you always want to be stick on puck you almost have to put your stick where you think that that drag is going to come in you almost have to keep it inside and obviously you just don't want to let them get into that spot you want to force them into something that's a little bit more uncomfortable for them to to get that shot off. but you know anytime you see a, a forward that's going to if I was defending and he's going to hold it way outside and drag it in. I pre scout before and no and uh, Matthews did catch me once on it when I was playing years ago in Arizona um, that that curl and drag and I thought I had it at the right level but I would just pre scout and and my stick would be more inside than it would be stick on puck. I would try to anticipate where that release point is and, and be there with my stick or I would try to get either a little slash on the lower end of a stick just to kind of disrupt that setup. But it's uh, it is it happens very quick. You uh, have to play on the body on those guys, as you saw with, uh, you know, Con- Connor got hurt, which is which is unfortunate. But, you know, you got to finish through the body on guys like that. You can't can't be what puck watching, but you also just need to be kind of where that release point is, which is, you know, in tight to their body. So. So you got to defend a little bit differently than you're taught, but it's uh, I think you'll see guys, you know, trying to cue in on it. But again, the best way to defend is just is through the body. So just hit them if you can, if you yeah. can catch them. <laughs>
1: that seems to be a problem for a lot of guys when they're defending. You got hit them if you can catch them. Uh, you played 700 yeah. games in the NHL, 700 regular season games in the NHL. Over the course of your time in the league, what was the biggest change in terms of or toughest thing to defend? Like, was there something that, you know, you looked at and said, well, wow, this really changed over the course of my career. Maybe it was the speed. Maybe it was how guys shoot the puck, whatever it was. What was the biggest change for you in the game over the course of your career that maybe made it better, easier for you or harder for
3: you to play the game? Uh, I was always like, you know, I, I, I had about five or six tricks to slow guys down. And, and I just always learned of ways to kind of cheat the game without getting a penalty. Um, so I was always trying to stay ahead of guys because again, offensively, the thing that changed the most is obviously there's so many rule changes that benefit the offensive side of the puck. And, you know, they really limit what a D can do, which is, which is great for the game. It it makes the game fast. You know, you don't want guys water skiing and hooking or, you know, you used to do the can opener, which you, anytime a Ford would come down on, you you just put your stick between his legs and turn it and he was done. And, you know, they got rid of that rule, which was, which was great. It, it's kept the game fast. So you really, as a D man, just, you had to work on your skating number one and make sure that you were mobile enough. And also for me, it was always not letting guys get started because once they get to top speed it's hard to stop them so always getting into their hip before they could get moving and and making it uncomfortable for them and slow because most of these skill guys they don't want to be bumped or touched and and you can't hook them but you know you could stay on top of them and give them a push before they get going and that always kind of limits their explosiveness because the biggest thing that's changed is, is guys is like first three steps their first three steps are just so elite and so different than when I started, you know, you know, you get you a lot of big boys that needed to get the wheels turning before they were top speed. But now it's just like one or two steps and guys are at top speed. So that's kind of where my head was at. But as a whole, like the biggest thing offensively that changed is, is the five man unit in itself is so has evolved so much. It's not individual players. Yes, there are the guys that can individually skill and, and, and make these you know, amazing plays, but the lead up to it or in the offensive zone, there's so much more movement and D men are jumping low and D men are leading the rush. And it's just, uh, it's, I think the offensive side of the game has surpassed the defensive side and, you know, there'll be a coach or somebody that'll come up and figure out a way to defend better. And, and then it'll kind of, it's, it's just a beautiful nuance thing between offense and defense in the NHL is that it's always, offense gets ahead and then defense catches up defense gets ahead and right now we're in the age of offense but you know somebody's going to figure out a way to kind of defend this new style of, of playing which is a lot more fast and loose and free and once that happens you're going to see another another switch but um yeah guys's first three steps are are night and day than whatever they've been and it's incredible the explosiveness that these guys young guys have and and um, it's definitely something that's changed the game immensely. I
1: uh, wanted to ask you one more thing here. And and that's the transition from playing to broadcasting. You talked about it. You joked about it earlier being on the dark side now. And um, it, it, I mean, when you're a player, you look at the media differently and now you're in the media and you look at players differently, I guess. Um, but How has that transition been? Because for a lot of guys, it's hard going from that competition every single day and training and doing all that stuff to, well, I got to find something to do here. Um, This broadcasting thing looks like a lot of fun, Uh, and it is, and I've been doing it for a few years now. What's it been like for you making that adjustment from going to play every day to, I don't have that to do, but hey, I've got this other thing that's pretty cool too.
3: Yeah, it's been, it's been fun. I didn't think I would enjoy it as much. And, and listen, in life, everybody needs a purpose. You need something to get up in the morning and do and, and something that you enjoy. And and this is something that's kept me close to the game as well. Hockey was such a big part of my life and the routine aspect of it. We're very much creatures of habit as players. And you need that routine and you go from being structured minute to minute, every day, what you're eating, what you're, when you're working out, um, into the summer is the same thing. So it's like once you take that away, a lot of guys are lost and they don't quite know what's next. And you know, I always kind of tell people, you're never taught how to be a professional athlete, and you're never taught how to retire. So you're just kind of left to your own devices. And a lot of guys kind of lose a, a sense of themselves when that happens. And and I just found it's about kind of finding a purpose and and finding a routine. You have to keep a routine. You have to be kind of disciplined and setting that routine for yourself. And and for me, it was going to broadcasting and, and kind of just doing as much as possible and seeing what, what sticks, you know, throwing everything against the wall and then however it fell and what I enjoyed, I'd continue to do. And um, so far it's been, you know, the NHL network gave me a chance and it's been fun to to do a new format of, of kind of podcasting journalism that we've been doing. And then now I've, probably here in San Francisco for two weeks doing a bunch of sharks games. And it has been a great side. And I'm learning a lot about that side of things. And, you know, what I wanted to do when I got into broadcasting was try to bring more of an upbeat personality, which I brought into the dressing room for the fans at home and, and hopefully, you know, give a little bit of color and, and, and lightness to and not have it be uh, always so stat based and very serious and, and just try to change, just change the stigma for around the, around the league and, and help out where I could and also grow the game because, you know, when I played, I wanted to grow the game for guys. And I think it's a great sport and it's best sport around. Um And just helping these guys maybe get more opportunities by doing this and and keeping me close to the game and, has been uh has been a blessing so i'm super grateful to to have been given a chance to do this and and be able to do this because uh it's been fun so far and i uh i have a newfound respect for the media side of things because it is a tough job and you guys make it look easy because it's a everyday thing and i thought i'd be like oh this is gonna be easy i'm just gonna i could mail this in and and you know i know enough about the game that i don't need to look at games all the time and that is not the case like every guy I've met in the media industry watches so much hockey. They're so dialed in on the analytics side. They're so, they know everything that's going inside a lot of the locker rooms and it's incredible. Like I didn't realize how much goes into it. And I'm very grateful to have met a lot of people that have helped me so far during this time. And also like fans, fans back home, man, like you guys work, it doesn't look like you media people work, but they work their, uh, they work their tail off.
1: I'm glad you said that because uh, I, my wife's not listening, but I'm going to use that recording and tell her like, this is actually what happens here. Jason said, he knows.
3: Okay. It looks like nothing. It it (laughs) looks like nothing. And I kind of joke with, with my wife. I'm like, I prepare for six hours to do 15 minutes of on air time. But the 15 minutes of on air time has to be dialed in because listen, NHL fans are some of the most knowledgeable out there and they'll smell you if it stinks from a mile away. So you kind of really have to be on point and, uh, you have to give them, give the fans what they want and also, uh, make sure you don't mess up. So it's, it's, it's really very similar to hockey for me. You know, you, you prepare all day to play 15 to 20 minutes and it's very much the same. It's a different muscle, but you're preparing all day to give 15 minutes of of content for people. And and hopefully that it's, it's something they uh, didn't know already. And you can maybe give them a little bit of distraction from their day and and hopefully, uh, yeah, help them, help them any way you can. I'll I'll tell you this, the best thing that
1: ever happened to me when I was uh, getting into this business was being able to tell my wife, no, I have to watch sports because it's for work. It's the greatest thing that's ever happened. Uh, like I always say, it beats working for a living. Uh, Jason, Hit listen, that. you've been very gracious with your time today. Thank you so much. Continued success on NHL network and, and the local broadcast that you've been doing. Uh, we're really rooting for you over here. Thanks a lot for taking some time and, uh, and enjoy the nice weather at West cause we're not getting it out here.
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, uh, I will. I'm going to enjoy it. It was a little rainy, but, uh, Let's hope the Maple Leafs turn it around, right? Yeah, well, we'll see about that.
1: Uh, there he goes, Jason Demers, NHL Network analyst and former NHL defenseman. Uh, we're right up against it. When we come back, one of our pals, Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now, will join us. The Bruins are good. Shocker! The Bruins are good, um, and they've got some questions. What the heck do they do ahead of the trade deadline? Did as Jeff mentioned on the show? Did last year maybe change the philosophy? around the Boston Bruins and the trade deadline? We'll find out. Uh, Jimmy Murphy's next from Boston Hockey Down. Matt Marchese filling in for Jeff Merrick on the Jeff Merrick Show. You're listening on the Sportsnet Radio Network, watching on Sportsnet 360.
4: The most
0: opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real Kip born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back. The final block of the Jeff Merrick Show for Wednesday, January the 17th. I can't even keep track of what date it is. The fact that we are more than halfway through the month of January scares the heck out of me. But you know what it means? We're getting closer to trade deadline. Now, that is a lot of fun. You uh, know, it's a lot of fun. Our next guest, Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey Now, joins me. Jimmy, how are you?
4: I'm great. You know, you know, when the trade deadline is March 8th and then, you know, nine days later after that uh, is uh, St. Patrick's Day. So I I like that time of year a lot too.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Jimmy's not from Boston at all. There's no way Jimmy's (laughs) from Boston. No chance. I wanted to ask you about the health of this team. So it looks like uh, Linus Allmark back tomorrow, uh, maybe Matthew Poitra and Brandon Carlo as well. Um, you know, considering some of the injuries that they've had, and it's, it's not been an injury laden season, but there also was a lot of changeover. Um, the the changing of the guard from Patrice Bergeron to Brad Marchand, and and no David Krejci. And considering all that's happened here, this team has really continued on their success, not to the same extent as last year in the regular season, but pretty darn close to it. Are you surprised by any of this? Like I know you and I talked. Um, in the off season about this group and, you know, what might happen with them and all the changes that could be made, but it's kind of just, you know, status quo here for the Boston Bruins, isn't it?
4: Yes and no uh, status quo that they're in a similar position in the standings uh, at the halfway point and as the all-star game approaches, um, but not status quo in that, you know, Last year, and I actually asked Jim Montgomery about this today, and, um, you know, he admitted, like, last year he had a team where, uh, you know, anybody coaching that team could have won the Jack Adams Award, and he just kind of sat back and was there when they needed him. But, I mean, he just kind of let them coach themselves, and that team just motored through the regular season. So, you know, there wasn't much adversity, and as we found out, that ended up being a not-so-great thing in the playoffs because when they finally faced real adversity – uh, they broke, and I, I think that's why you look at this season, I almost like this better for them, and I'm more impressed with this Bruins team right now, and I know that sounds crazy, I'm not going to take away from the records last year's team set and everything they did, it was amazing, but to me, it's more impressive with this team, and specifically what their coach is doing, because he's had to change a lot on the fly, had to make a ton of changes and deal with a ton of adapting coming into the season with the guys he lost in the offseason. As you mentioned, Bergeron and Crenshaw, obviously at the top of the list. Um, and then he's got, had to adapt a lot in season. Uh, and, they, you know, they've dealt with some injuries. They're getting guys back now. They're healthy. But uh, I, I think that everything continues to be a work in progress with this team. But the fact that they're doing it, what they're doing in the standings, while it's a work in progress, is really impressive to me.
1: It has been, and it's one, it's, it's the, t- okay, I'm going to, I'll be honest. It's the team that I thought along with Tampa was going to fall off because of some of the guys that they lost. Um And I said that the year before, because they had all these injuries and guys are going to be out until December and November and all that stuff. Uh, shame on me because I did it again. But when you look at a a large reason for the success of this team, look no further than the battery of Jeremy Swayman and Linus Allmark and the job that they've done again. And, you know, Jimmy, there's this weird notion around hockey circles. And maybe it's just crazy people on Twitter or X or whatever the heck we're calling it today. But it's like, oh, well, they should... They should trade Linus Olmark because they have Jeremy Swayman. But it's like, do you watch the rest of the league and see what's happened? If you have three good goalies, you can trade one. If you have two good goalies, you cannot trade one. That seems like a really bad idea.
4: Yeah, look, it, uh, uh, first of all, I, I to those people who said that in the offseason, I don't think it was a crazy idea at all at that time. I think that was a perfect opportunity to do it, to free up some cap space. Agree. And to maybe maybe get that center that they were losing, uh, you know, in their one and two centers in Krejci and Bergeron. Maybe at least replace one of them, uh, get a top six center there. But but they didn't, and that's that. So once the season starts, this is what you are, and this is who you are, and these are the goalies you're going to ride with. You don't trade them, especially as you continue to lean on them. And you think about all the, the games that they've likely bailed them out in, uh, to lean on them. You can't get rid of them right now. And, and maybe they'll revisit it in the off season. I, I'm pretty confident they will, actually, given the way Swayman's played and just, you know, contractual situations from both guys and, and going forward with the cap. I think that's something that will be revisited. But right now, you go with these guys. You ride it. But while they've been amazing, you know, like I'm not taking anything away from them. I think both goalies have been great. Excuse me. and I But I think that, you know, a guy maybe it's just because he's a superstar, maybe it's because he scores a lot and and you just expect it, we don't talk about him enough as being a a team's MVP, is David Posnack. And if he's not in a hard trophy conversation right now, I don't know what people are thinking. I I really don't. And I'm not just saying that because of his stats. I'm saying that because of when he scores in games and also just the way he's improved his two-way game. And if you talk to any of the his teammates, and you talk to them about what he's like on the bench when they're down by a goal or they need some you know, words of motivation, he's becoming that guy there. And he's been a great guy for Brad Martian in his first year as captain to lean on. And you're really start to see how much a guy like Patrice Bergeron rubbed off on him both on and off the ice. So I, I think he deserves a lot of credit for where they're at as well.
1: Jimmy Murphy from Boston Hockey now joining Matt Marchese here on the Jeff Merrick show. Um, You talked about Brad Marchand in his first year as captain. I mean, I don't, I don't follow the, like, I don't cover this team like you do. I mean, I watch them play and they're really good, but knowing what goes on, you know, in the locker room and and kind of behind the scenes there, how has Brad Marchand done with this captaincy in terms of like, this was a guy that there are probably not a lot of people that thought that Brad Marchand was ever going to be a captain of an NHL team. Maybe they thought he was too much of a distraction. All some of the ancillary stuff that we'll call it that he does on the ice. That is not, uh, it's not always uh, on the up and up, but he seems like a guy. uh, You talked about Patrice Bergeron rubbing off on a guy like David Pasternak. seems like he's done that as well with Brad Marchand. How have you viewed Brad Marchand and have you seen a change in him since becoming the captain?
4: Um, I think that, you know, we talked about the words work in progress. I think that's very much still a work in progress. Um, The one knock i have about his captaincy so far, and, and I expected this and I think it will change. I think he's on the right track would be that he, he needs to understand that he needs to be a little more diplomatic with, with the officials when a call doesn't go his way or a call that he disagrees with is made against him specifically um, just because, you know, you're the captain now and you need to be able to kind of be that guy that goes up to the refs and has a talk to kind of understand what they're thinking, why are they making these calls, get the temperature of the game and how the refs feeling. And he at times he struggled with that, but I think he's getting better game by game. And I think over, overall he's done well. The one thing I will say, though, and, and, you know, we'll go right back to what I told you about Posnack, is that he does have the ability, um, and he's shown it plenty of times. I thought during that road trip when they kept losing these one-goal games and extra time, he's got the ability to kind of take one for the team, um, whether it's facing the media or whether it is going to a rep. Like, sometimes I wonder, while I sit here and knock him, not being diplomatic enough with the rest, I also sometimes wonder at times is, he, is this his method of trying to take pressure off his teammates? And, you know, let me, let me be the, the target of their angst instead of you guys. So it's, it's like a fine line he's trying to walk. I'm not sure which way he's trying to go, but he'll learn. But he does have a great ability, you know, when things are going tough, to, to elevate his game like he always has um, and, and be a leader with his play.
1: Um, you mentioned Jim Montgomery earlier. And the last guy to win the Jack Adams trophy in back-to-back years was Jacques Demers, and that was in the 86-87 and 87-88 seasons with the Red Wings. The way that things are going right now, and you talked about Montgomery saying, well, anybody could have coached that team last year, and that's fine, and the job that he's done this year is a lot more difficult than he's really taken it head on. Do you see that? Do you see him being in that category again? Or do you think it's just, you know, the way it's voted on, it's like, well, you know, the Bruins were good last year. So yeah, they should be good again. And it's seems to always be, unless you set records, um, the team that wasn't supposed to be there that ends Mm -hmm. up getting the coach of the year, but you could make the case that the Bruins probably shouldn't have been in this position either based on the changes that happened. Yeah. I
4: mean, I think that's how we started this conversation We're both in agreement that not many, you, me, a lot of people did not expect them to be here with the off-season losses they had. And um, you know. And also, don't forget, too, when, you're, when you have a season like the Bruins had last year, and we, obviously we see this with teams that win the Cup or the conference um, in the playoffs, you know, teams are gunning to you. It's still the Bruins to other teams. Like, they circle that date on their calendar when they're playing the Bruins, or like you circle it when you're playing the Avalanche, or you circle it when you're playing the Golden Knights. Teams like that, the elite teams, they're their, their statement games for a lot of teams, so they get extra up for those games. So they're constantly getting the opponent's best game. And the fact that he's been able to kind of counter that and counter all the offseason losses, counter some of the injuries he's had, counter the in-game adjustments he's had to make, I think he needs to be in the conversation. Now, unfortunately for him, there's just so many good stories behind the bench this year whether it's John Tortorella in Philly, who I think right now will be my guy, or it's Rick Tocchet in Vancouver, uh, and the list goes on, you know, and I'm probably forgetting like three to five guys off the top of my head here, but, you know, I just think that it's going to be tough because of, oh, and don't forget Torgny in, uh, in Arizona. Mm-hmm. I think she deserves some consideration, you know? That's a team we don't talk about enough and what they've been able to do this season. There's just so many good stories behind the bench that I think he might get lost in the shuffle, But one thing I can say in talking to other coaches and talking to people around the game is he's not lost in the shuffle amongst his peers. And I think that means a lot to him as well. You know, he can get all the awards he wants, but I think that means maybe even more to know the respect he's gaining and garnering amongst his peers, amongst his players that he coaches and other players around the league. That says a lot to me as well.
1: Um, Charlie McAvoy. And I saw your tweet from a few days ago. I Jimmy, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I laughed out loud. And, and your comment was something along the lines of basically to all the people that are commenting on my articles or on Boston Hockey Now about trade McAvoy, send him down. He's overpaid. I got a really good chuckle out of that because what that sounds like to me is a fan base that has been so spoiled with you know, over the course of a hundred years with all these great defensemen that they have, that they have another one. And they're just like, nah, this guy's no good. He's overpaid. He's like, he's one of the best defensemen in the league. Why the hatred or maybe not hatred, but the, um, this discourse with Charlie McAvoy right now, because I really don't understand it because there's 31 other teams that would love to have him on their team. Yeah. Well,
4: first and foremost, you know, you talk about being spoiled with so many defense, and I also think on a on bigger picture in terms of pro sports here in Boston, I mean, this city has been completely spoiled for the yeah. last 20 to 25, you know. And, and so the standard of, you know, what's a superstar and what's not and, and you know, winning championships, and, and that's fine, has been raised so so much that sometimes I think people – get a little disillusioned uh, when they're evaluating players. And I think the other thing, too, is that, uh, and I'll I'll relate to another sport again, you look at the Patriots, okay? Mm -hmm. And all the times that Tom Brady or other players poke a little less for the good of the team. And I I think that Boston sports fans, more than any other fan base, in my opinion, believe that every pro athlete should always do that, that it's their obligation as being part of a team that they should take less. Well, you know, people forget that <laughs> players have taken plenty less over the last 20 something years since the salary cap went in. Yeah, their salaries go up, but under the cap, not, you know, according to other sports. It's not as high as other sports, obviously. And um, I think they look at his cap hit and what he's making, and they think because of that, that that should mean he should be generating way more points, that he should be you know, on a Paul Coffey level in terms of points. And it's just not him, and it's just not why they're paying him. He's making that money because, as you said, 31 other teams would love to have him because he's one of the best two-way defensemen in the NHL. And he's a throwback, really. I mean, you talk about all the defensemen the Bruins have had. I, I grew up watching Ray Bork, and I see a lot of Ray Bork in him a ton of Ray Bork in, in Charlie McAvoy then. And if you want to, you know, for the younger generation out there, if they want to kind of look at other players that are playing still or from the last 10 to 15 years, I'd draw a comparison to Drew Doughty. Mm-hmm. I, I see a lot of Drew Doughty in Charlie McAvoy as well. And ironically, that that was his idol growing up. That was his favorite defenseman. Um, so I think he's lived up even or even exceeded expectations in terms of what I thought when he came into the league. And it's funny, I was just talking to Matt Grizzlick after practice today, more for him, because I want to do a feature on him, and he's had a nice little comeback from injury right now. But, you know, we got talking about his D partner, and, of course, he was D partners with McAvoy back in the day at BU as well. So he's really seen him develop into what he's become now. And I asked him, I said, Matt, you know, when you were with him at BU, I mean, obviously you see the skill, you see the potential, Um, But what maybe, you know, didn't get hyped up as much uh, by the media or by, you know, people, fans, what have you, about McAvoy when he was coming to the league that you think is now really shining through, and he said that's easy. He's a gamer. He always has been. He embraces difficult moments. He embraces the spotlight. He embraces being the man. And if Bruins fans could see that, I think they'd change their tune because, I agree 100%. I think this kid, he's been a gamer since you go back to when he played in that game, uh, the gold medal game in the World Juniors at the Bell Center and USA. When go, go back and watch that game and tell me that that kid isn't a gamer. And you see where he is now. Um, I just think that Bruins fans hopefully will start to realize what they have in him.
1: Uh, 56 points in 78 games, 52 points in 67 games and 29 points in 35 games this year. If that's not enough points for you, for a defenseman, Jimmy, I don't know what to tell people. Um, it's, it's crazy. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, there's people in a few cities that would love to have Charlie McAvoy. So if the Bruins ever want to get rid of him, I'm sure there will be a lineup. Uh, Jimmy, thanks as always for taking some time for us. Really appreciate it. Always love our chats and, uh, and and stay safe out there. I know the weather's been circling in other cities in the U.S. Uh, hopefully you guys don't get it in Boston. Certainly like they have in Buffalo or up here.
4: <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been pretty cold the last few days. But, hey, it's winter, you know. So we've had it pretty easy here, though, compared to what you guys have had. And I know my friends in Montreal as well. So I'm not going to complain. And, uh, oh, by the way, too, I just want to give myself a little plug. We've got, sure. we got a podcast I'm doing now with Pierre Maguire uh, called The Eye Test. And we're really excited. We're bringing on you know, the celebrity of the week and he's well-deserved and that's uh, Terry Ryan is coming on with us today. So you can check that out on YouTube. Uh, looking forward to that.
1: Yeah. TR's a beauty. He was on with Jeff. Uh, yeah. Uh, Monday. I think it was uh, TR is oh. a beauty. He's awesome. I love him. Uh, thanks Please. as always pal. Enjoy the chat with Terry. All right, have a good one, guys. Bye-bye. There he goes. Jimmy Murphy from Boston hockey. Now, thanks to everybody that joined us on the show today. Jason Demers, um, Uh, Danny Webster and Haley Salvian. We'll be back tomorrow. I'll be in for Jeff. You've been listening to the Jeff Merrick show on Sportsnet Radio Network and watching on Sportsnet 360. We'll chat with you tomorrow.